You're listening to Cancer Covered. When this comes up with patients that I'm seeing, the first thing I'll tell them is, nothing happens to you without your consent. You say no port, no port happens. That's absolutely people's right, always. But think carefully about why you don't want a port. Sometimes the reasons people don't want ports, um, sometimes they're personal, and those need to be respected or non-negotiable. Sometimes they're based on maybe a, a not great understanding of the intent of it or what the real risks are. But I always advise people to think carefully about why you don't want one and then talk to your doctor about it. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. Cancer patients want their treatments to be as uncomplicated as possible, and rightly so. So it's unwelcome news when many of them hear they need yet another surgical procedure, the implantation of a chemotherapy port, before their treatment starts. This often causes stress, anxiety, and pushback. Why do I need a port? Is it really necessary? Could it cause problems? On today's episode, we'll answer every one of these questions, as well as a few you may not have thought of, and explain why your doctor might recommend a port for you. I'm here with medical oncologist and my partner, Dr. Brian Burnett. Brian, how's things for you today? Great. Good morning. (laughs) And good morning to you. Uh, So... (laughs) <laughs> so what exactly is a chemotherapy port? A chemotherapy port is a device that gets inserted under the skin of a patient um, that connects into one of the large blood vessels in the body that allows the administration of IV medications in a secure, safe, less uncomfortable manner. And unlike a lot of the devices that can be used to provide infusions of different medicines, uh, like say a PIC line or a Hickman that, that have a, an access hub that sits outside the body and needs to be cleaned regularly and cared for. Uh, the access hub is, lives right under the skin. Yeah, oftentimes when you bring up a port, the picture a patient or the family member has in their mind is somebody having a dialysis catheter, a long IV hanging out of the arm, and it's different than that. You're right, mm-hmm. it sits underneath the skin. Uh, people can bathe, people can wash, um, especially once it heals up well. And because the point of access is in the large central veins in the body, I, I think most people assume that that means it has to go in in the, the chest because that's often a place they're put in, but that, they can be put in a lot of different places, right? Yep. It's most commonly put in the chest the majority of the time, and many of our patients that will be where they have it. But it, there's also surgeons or radiologists out there that will put them underneath or inside the upper arm. Some people have them in their leg for one reason or another. It can be put in a variety of different places and can be put on the right side or the left side as well. And once they're in, do patients have to do anything specific with them? Well, typically, if they're not using them regularly, they need to be flushed to maintain their function every four to six weeks. But otherwise, they can bathe, they can shower, they can shave. It really is all under the skin and doesn't really take much in the way of special care. And for the most part, they can go about their normal activities, swimming and exercise and work and all that. With some exceptions. Yeah. 
like full contact martial arts, for instance. Yeah, if you get hit in the port, it's probably a problem if you're a kickboxer. If um, one thing I try not to forget to ask our patients here in Northeast Wisconsin and Michigan, try not to forget to ask them if they hunt or shoot guns. Uh, because oftentimes where the port gets placed is right where the butt of a shotgun or a rifle would sit, depending on if somebody's a right-handed or left-handed shot. And it's easier not to just put it on the non-shooting side. You can put it on either side and people look at you, why are you asking if I shoot things? We're talking about cancer. And then they say they do shoot things and deer season is coming up relatively quickly that mm -hmm. time of year that we're seeing the patient. And they would have been really disappointed if they couldn't shoot again. We'll put it on their non-shooting shoulder. Mm -hmm. So why are they often recommended for cancer patients? Well, there's a variety of reasons. First of all, it allows patients, I would say, sometimes a less unpleasant or more pleasant experience. When people are having difficulty getting IVs in the arm, and we see that in patients in the hospital every now and then, somebody, for whatever reason, might have the nursing staff or phlebotomist have a difficult time getting an IV into a peripheral vein because of some anatomical issues or weight loss or dehydration, and they keep getting poked and poked and poked, and that happens every time they come in. Um, this allows a more pleasant experience because you have very secure IV access. It's easily accessed, and you don't need to deal with that. And those people are the, often the same ones whose veins are often a lot more fragile, and those can rupture during or not long after placement of an IV when something's infusing. Why is that a problem for some of our chemo drugs? Some of our chemo drugs, not all of them, but a minority of them can be very irritating to the inside of a vein. Um, they can be relatively harsh chemicals that kill cancer relatively well, but they can also irritate the inside of that vein. Um, like many things in, in life or in and outside of medicine, um, there's different places for different things. Um, large, tough, strong veins can be subjected to harsher conditions or to different challenges that, than very, very um, small delicate veins, just like you wouldn't have a child run a marathon um, if they're two years old, or you shouldn't. Um, their bodies are different. Their ability to do things are different. And that's kind of like veins, too. Plus, the blood flow through the larger veins is, is a lot more uh, copious, and those drugs get diluted to a less irritating concentration much more quickly than they do in the smaller caliber veins. So, you know, the risks are a lot less for those specific types of drugs. There's also certain times when we're giving chemotherapy for some women with breast cancer, they get four chemotherapy treatments over a period of 12 weeks. For some people with metastatic or not curable breast cancer, they may be getting an IV treatment once a week or every two or three weeks for a number of years. Well, if it's four treatments and you need to be a little bit uncomfortable, that's different than having to do this repeatedly over and over again. Some of our treatments as well can be infused over a couple of hours. Some of our treatments, there's some that we do for acute leukemia, some for colon cancer that can be slowly infused through a pump, and that pump may be on the patient infusing the drug for somewhere between 48 hours and 28 days. And that's just not going to... And you can't do that in a peripheral IV. They aren't strong enough. They aren't secure enough. You're just unable to give that type of treatment through that type of um, IV access. But not everybody who gets cancer treatment needs one. 
who doesn't need one? Say so who doesn't need one is somebody that's getting medications. It is not all that hard on peripheral IVs. It is a limited number, and we're able to achieve um, easily accessed IV veins. So good veins, so, short number of treatments, and not harsh chemicals. Yeah. There's an increasing number of medications these days, too. One type of medication that comes to mind is monoclonal antibodies that we use to treat one type of breast cancer for lymphomas for uh, multiple myeloma. When these drugs were first introduced to the market, they were always IV. Some of them required a, up to a 10 or 15 hour infusion for the first dose. Now, each of these drugs or each of many of these drugs has been tested as a subcutaneous formulation. And instead of being in the clinic for hours getting an IV treatment, they can come in and get a subcutaneous injection and be in and out the door within 30 minutes. So not only does that improve the experience in terms of the length of time patients need to stay here, these other treatments require a port. These subcutaneous injections do not. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. And while every physician approaches cancer with their own unique skill set, we all agree on this one simple idea. Hi, I'm Dr. Gayu, a physician at Green Bay Oncology. The truth is, a cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and overwhelmed. And these moments are exactly when you need support the most. That's why all our doctors rely on the support of our team of qualified medical professionals. And here's two of them. Hi, I'm Madison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers, we see how meaningful connection brings strength and healing to patients and loved ones facing cancer every single day. Our patients and physicians agree, sharing your experience in a safe space with others is powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual and in-person cancer support group facilitated for you, wherever you are on your cancer journey. So whether by internet, phone, or in-person, you'll have access to the support of a community on a similar path. To join us, visit gboncology.com and click on support. So a lot of patients are not keen on the idea of having anything implanted in their body, you know, for any period of time. And some of them will ask, well, can I opt out? What, how would you answer that question? Probably. Again, depends on the situation. There's some treatments that can only be given through more secure IV access like that. Right. Many of them, that's not the case. And in those patients that want to avoid a port or that we're trying to avoid one for them, um, I'll tell them at the beginning, let's see how things go. If the nurses are able to get IV access and this is going well, well, then we don't need to think about getting a port. If, however, they're having difficulty getting an IV every time you come in and you're getting sick and tired of getting poked or it's irritating you and, and causing you discomfort when these drugs are infusing in, well, then let's rethink the plan and we can get a port placed prior to your next treatment. Or if for one of those protracted infusions over multiple days, it's really kind of a non-starter. When this comes up with patients that I'm seeing, the first thing I'll tell them is nothing happens to you without your consent. You say no port, no port happens. That's that is absolutely people's right, always. But think carefully about why you don't want a port. Sometimes the reasons people don't want ports, uh, sometimes they're personal, and those are those need to be respected or non-negotiable. Sometimes they're based on maybe a, a not great understanding of 
the intent of it or what the real risks are. But I was advise people to think carefully about why you don't want one and then talk to your doctor about it. With many things we do, there's the I had a friend once argument. Right. And, you know, the, the squeaky wheel gets a grease. If somebody has a bad thing happen with a device or a treatment or this, that, or the other thing, you tend to hear about it. Right. If, if everything goes well with it and very smoothly and there's no problems at all, well, people don't complain about it. They aren't verbal about it. So yeah. there's many people out there that have these devices that do great and are happy they have them. And it's a way in which they can get through their cancer treatments better. The one in a thousand, one in 10,000 bad occurrences tend to take up a lot of uh, mental space sometimes. Can warts cause problems? Yes. Like anything, there's risks and benefits of anything we do in medicine and ports are no exception to that. In general, they're good devices that have very limited problems, but um, there is a small but real chance that there could be a malfunction of the port where it stops working due to it being rotated or occluded with what they call a, a fibrin sheath, which is just a fancy way of saying it kind of get gummed up and things won't flow through it anymore. There's a small but real risk of infection when anybody has any foreign body underneath their skin or within their body. There's a risk of blood clots forming on it. Those are the main ones. Those risks are are there uh, probably in the single percent range, not 1%, not 10%, somewhere in between. The risk of infection is known to correlate with the intensity of the chemotherapy. And, you know, if there are patients who are, are going to have protracted neutropenia. Those are the most common in our lymphoma and our leukemia patients. Uh, they're at risk for infections, whether they have a port or not, honestly. But, you know, the more typical kinds of uh, chemotherapy that we use for breast cancer or colon cancer have a much lower risk generally. So some of those risks are affected by the nature of the cancer and, the, and the, as a result of cancer treatment. And oftentimes if somebody does have a problem with a port, um, that problem can be fixed. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, if there's a port infection, it can be salvaged with some antibiotics. But infections, oftentimes, it needs to come out. If there's a clot that becomes attached to the port, well, people just need to be on a blood thinner. That port doesn't necessarily even need to come out. Mm-hmm. And they stay on a blood thinner until the port comes out for some other reason, whether it be the completion of therapy or something else. Then they, they're able to stop the blood thinner or anticoagulation a bit thereafter. If there's a port that gets clogged, our radiologists or interventional radiologists can, by chemical means or by mechanical means, sometimes declog them and restore their flow again. The last question that comes up regularly about ports is maybe the only one that's uh, at all controversial among oncologists and and, uh, people who treat cancer. How long does the port need to stay in? Until it's done being used. Right. So the consensus recommendations, according to best practice, and what we recommend here in our practice is once the final dose of treatment is administered, the port should be removed. But sometimes people who work in oncology recommend uh, keeping it in a bit longer, just in case. What's that about? Well, I'd say there's different perspectives of everything we do. It doesn't make them right or doesn't make them wrong. But I personally have a problem that if you bring somebody through a course of curative treatment for cancer and you've successfully gotten through that treatment and they're now transitioning to keeping an eye on things in a surveillance strategy and hoping the cancer does not come back again. I find it problematic when we say, 
let's leave this port in just in case we need it someday. That's a different perspective to me as a provider as well as a, if I was a patient or a patient's family member of you successfully treated this, you successfully completed treatment. Congratulations. We're hopeful this will never come back again because we're hopeful this will never come back again. Let's take out the port because you'll probably never need it again. Mm -hmm. The unlikely event you do need it again can be put back in relatively easily, but let's not just keep it in to have a daily reminder of your experience and require you to come in and have it flushed every four to six weeks indefinitely. I I think you're spot on that there are probably uh, psychological burdens that result from having that constant reminder in there. And maybe uh, there's some signaling, un unintended signaling that's happening by leaving it in there that we're communicating something to them that, that we actually don't know. Uh, that's where my main um, objection to the practice of leaving them in after the completion of therapy comes from. It's like, well, let's wait. And I've seen different people in different places say, let's wait six months and then we'll take it out. Or let's wait two years and let's take it out. And let's wait five years and take it out. And the reality is that although we can make some statistical prediction, we don't really have a great handle on what's that time frame that it's fine to remove it. And it's, it's very, very arbitrary. So I object to the practice on those grounds. I think in general terms, it's not a one-size-fits-all type of thing. Nope. I think there's probably some providers or patients out there that feel like they got burned in the past. They took out somebody's port, and then the cancer came back a month or two later. Well, that's going to happen. That's the nature of what we do. Cancer can come back someday. And there's probably patients out there that are so anxious about cancer coming back that they're afraid they'll have their cancer come back if they take that port out and they're going to need it. They're going to be upset with themselves and they'll they'll lose sleep at night thinking about taking that port out because they want to have that available. And that's okay. We can try to calm that anxiety over time mm -hmm. and get them to be accepting of taking that port out. Maybe that's can be a marathon, not a sprint. Sure. They're reluctant sure. and refuse to take it out that first three-month visit after finishing treatment. Well, six months later, you say, well, are you feeling better? Do you think we can get that out and be hopeful for the future? And maybe a year later, they agree to take it out. Well, right. that's the appropriate timeline for that patient. Right. may not be my timeline or what I would prefer, but that's okay. Right. I, I think it's understandable when, when, when something happens in a certain time sequence that people jump to cause and effect conclusions. But, you know, there's nothing about removing a port that stimulates the recurrence of a cancer and so there's no cause and effect link there. It's a little bit like the the old joke about the guy who read somewhere that most people die at home in their beds. And so he started sleeping in movie theaters. On the flip side of that is I've seen patients that have a complication of a port. And we say that complication rate, significant complication rate is probably between 1% and 10%. Every now and then that complication is pretty serious. Mm -hmm. I have seen patients that have had a port that got infected that ended up in the ICU on a ventilator and mm -hmm. like sick and sick and sick as stink. It's been a life-threatening complication. Yeah, that's rare, but that does happen. Sure. Boy, if that happens when somebody has a port in that should have been taken out a year ago, that's a preventable nightmare that just happened because of our own anxiety over what if cancer comes back. Right. And while ports, again, they have a low risk of complications, especially serious complications, 
the longer it's in, the more risk people get exposed to. Mm -hmm. If you have a port in for three months and there's a small risk of something bad happening, it's different than if you have a port in for 15 years. Mm -hmm. That's a similar probably daily or monthly risk, but it's cumulative. It adds up over time. Brian, I appreciate you sharing your expertise with us today. I I think it's probably going to give our listeners a lot more clarity. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, I'd like to thank the listeners and the people that have engaged in our website for asking these questions. I was blown away, actually. I had no idea that so many people had so many questions about ports, and that's one of the most frequently searched and asked about things in cancer care. And we're a ways into doing these podcasts now, and it's just very rewarding and nice to see that we're able to hopefully help people with those common questions that they're asking. We hope to do a lot more of it in the coming days. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com.